0: Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable Beth Steadman and I'm the Verbivore Laura Johnson and this is a podcast for writers who read, readers who write, and and everyone everyone who who loves words. Okay so (laughs) today we are continuing our discussion of editing and revising And talking a little bit about underwriting and overwriting and um, the difference between the two, how to tell which you might be doing, there are pros and cons to both. And so maybe like we want to kind of discuss some of that and then also how you can, once you know what you're doing, how you can use that knowledge to improve your work and make it feel more fleshed out or less fat, so to say, or like <laughs> less bloated. I don't know. Um, how you can find that kind of balance that is yours because it is going to be different from person to person. And some of this is a little bit subjective. Um Absolutely. <laughs> so what is underwritten to one person might be not overwritten to another and what is overwritten to one person might be not that be that way to another person. Um so there is some subjectivity to this, but there is also some there's some things we can learn and some things that ways that we can grow and and it is a big part I think of the revision process, is kind of figuring out where you land and how to address that. Absolutely. I'm excited about this one. I have lots to you.
1: Absolutely. And I was thinking that we might take it in the different sides because we both kind of represent one side of that, even though it's not like one-size-fits-all. Yes. So do you want to start first or do you want me to? (laughs) I
0: can kick us off. Yeah, so I um, definitely fall on the underwriting side. But what is interesting, and this is something I think I've been really processing lately, is that that there are different ways to underwrite and different yes. ways to overwrite. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Like, I have overwritten an underwritten book. <laughs> yes. If that makes sense. Like I think um, one of the first things we look at to determine whether you're overwriting or underwriting is word count. Right. Like, it, and it's a good first measure. Um, so if you're not sure look at your word count. Is it way over what the standard is for that genre or way under what the standard is for that genre? And that might give you some indication of whether you're overwriting or underwriting, but it isn't always a perfect indication because absolutely, yeah, the second book that I wrote was 140,000 words, um, way over the standard for the genre. One point of view, why urban fantasy, it should not have been that high. Um, and so my assumption was, oh, I overwrote this. And what I realized having picked it up recently again and looked at it was that it's actually very underwritten in a lot of ways. Like my characters are underdeveloped. My setting is underdeveloped. It is a skin and bones type of story, but there was, my plot is overwritten. <laughs> you know, like yes. I have more scenes than I need. I have more characters than I need. I have. Um, so it's bloated in some ways while being underwritten in, in other ways. And I think what I'm starting to realize is that I don't have that problem as much anymore. My, my, plotting tends to be a lot tighter than it used to be. As I have grown with each book, I've focused a lot on plot and trying to like, okay, what what does plot look like? How do I get a tight plot? But I still tend to underwrite. And, and particularly my first drafts really tend to be kind of bone dry. <laughs> like it's lots of dialogue because that comes easily and naturally to me. Um, lots of dialogue, lots of action. Here's what happens. And it's only in revisions that I can start to Fine tune that and flesh that out with more exposition and internal dialogue and description and all of those things that make a book feel more alive and living and and grounded. Yeah, my I assume from what I know of your writing, I'm guessing we are polar opposites. Yes, it's absolutely true. And what's
1: funny is I actually, as I write, I'm a lot slower, and therefore I, I am both overwriting the scenes that I have, Mm. but. I'm keeping it reined in in certain ways. Like I often don't cut many scenes because everything is necessary to the story as a whole. So it's interesting because I am an overrider, but I'm really that like 10% extra overrider. I track as I go. So I'm not probably going to be at the 140,000 words because... (laughs) I just I kind of track it as I'm going, and I'm like, oh, this is feeling like it's feeling like it's not. You know, it's going this way, so I need to wrangle it back in. Yeah. So I I think some of that is that comes down to that process, right? That sure. How do you create it naturally? And that's just how I think. Like I yeah. think in that space of as I'm going through, I'm kind of doing some light revision, not into the. Like it's really more of that true, does this belong in this space? Like yeah. doing that type of river review or am I missing something that really needs to bridge this gap? I'm asking yeah. those questions, the big ones of in terms of like story structure and where, yeah. you know, is the story complete or am I telling it in the wrong way? So I'm asking those kind of almost that high level are the pieces in their right places as i'm actually writing it and that's not good or bad or you know it takes me a lot longer (laughs) than most people to write so that's definitely a cost of how my process works but then i often don't have to do a complete overhaul at the end like that And that would probably overwhelm me. So it's probably personality too. And I think as we even talk about this, just looking at there's pros and cons of each thing. And sometimes it depends on the actual project. Probably like I hold back before writing it a lot longer than most people because I need certain building blocks to be in place before I actually start doing that. I think what's great about this is it's not right or wrong. It's not, this works great and this is terrible. It's where do you want to do that type of thinking and where can you, because all of our brains work differently. (laughs) So it's like, where can you even hold those questions in your hands and really have it be effective? Because often when I've tried to not do that, that's the most inefficient writing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. And going back and trying to reverse engineer into my process which that was during nanoramo like the uh-huh. last the last eight chapters like i drug out of myself and i could feel it like afterwards yeah. i'm like oh i'm gonna pay for this and i did like I, I did in terms of process and i think just knowing that okay i can do it that way but really was that worth what I got out of it. And, and no, sure. I think following what feels like my process is worth it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think like in the same way that everyone's process is different, their natural bent towards underwriting or overwriting is, is going to be different. Yeah. And there are absolutely pros and cons to both. I think like when you overwrite, when you write more than what's needed, um, whether that's more plot than the, what's needed, more scenes than what's needed, yeah. more description, then what's needed, whatever it is, there's the benefit of often knowing a fuller picture of your characters and your world and your story itself. And the downside of that is that sometimes the story itself gets muddied or it's hard to find um, a little bit. And you have to kind of dig through that to figure out where it is. And on the other hand, like underwriting you have some benefits in that yes you can write a lot faster when you're underwriting you can go through a story a lot more quickly and you're less likely to get off track yes but you have the downside of sometimes not knowing all the things that you need to know about your world or your characters or your story and having to then figure those things out in revisions and either way I think Whatever your process is and whatever your natural bent is, you are benefited by revising. (laughs) You know, like there's never a time when revisions and edits are not helpful. And I think one thing that is really important before you sit down to revise is to figure out exactly what you're already doing and to find out, like, are you overwriting where are you overriding? Uh, what type of overriding are you doing? Are you underwriting? How are you underwriting? What type of underwriting are you doing so that you can address those things if, if need be. Cause again, like there's some variation in, in style and preference. Absolutely. Um, but I think there's always some benefit in kind of pulling ourselves back to some standard, you know, or some like general balance maybe.
1: Yeah.
0: And that balance is a spectrum. And if, you know, you might end on one side or the really? other, I like under, you know, like I like fast yeah. paced. So I, I tend to like things that are a little under it written. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's, I think it's really helpful to start there to start like, ha- so maybe what I want to discuss, and I'm curious to know your opinion on is how yeah. do you determine whether a project? Cause I, I would say too, like I've had yeah. some projects that I overwrote more than under wrote and other projects where you know, my tendency is definitely to underwrite, but that varies from project to project. Absolutely. So how do you tell, um, how do you know what you're doing and in what way? I have like a couple ideas, but I'm kind of curious what you think.
1: Well, and I'm, I think that's two, two different questions. Like in real time as you're doing it, I think that's rereading over what it is that you're writing seeing what it is that is your intention for it, you know, as you said, pace wise, Mm -hmm. I think looking at it from that perspective of kind of having an idea in mind of what it looks like, what it feels like within the genre, potentially what your hope is for it, but Mm -hmm. that's in, as we're writing it, then as we get to the end of it, I think we have to have that kind of assessment as well of the, what is the final, once we've gone through all the edits. Is it actually rating as we had hoped? Is it, is it feeling heavy? Is it feeling the way that we had hoped for? Because mm-hmm. what you mentioned there was like the backbone of the story. Mm-hmm. Like, if we at in this process don't know what that backbone of the story is mm-hmm. and the intention, I'm not sure that we even can answer that ultimate question of what what we're shooting for in the in the end. And it comes out during the process, I think, of what that overall intention or overall what we're shooting for is. I think we're the only ones who can really answer that question, so to speak. But I think asking beta readers for the genre, who love the genre, what they feel as they're reading it, that's helpful, Mm -hmm. I feel. I think, though, having that allowing that spidey sense to turn on, mm-hmm. like as we're, once we've set it aside, once we're no longer like the me, the writer holding on yeah. to this, I think we need to have that serious conversation with ourselves as well of yeah. what is this? Is the story there? Is the backbone of the story there? And yeah. have we potentially left things on the table that should be in there that aren't? Sure. And have we maybe left things in there that really shouldn't they're not integral to that spine of the story
0: yeah I think that that is like a really good place to start is your own instinct and your own like gut feeling about what's needed and what's not um which I find is always more accurate if I have some distance you know like if yeah you set it aside for a month, two months, six months, you come back to it with a, with different eyes. And I think a better ability to know what is really needed and what isn't um, or what might be missing. Um, I think those are some things that have been really helpful for me in, in addition to beta readers, like, cause that's true that they can be a really good source of telling you like what's missing or what they felt they didn't get enough of and what they might feel like they have too much of. But something that was really helpful for me uh, in my most recent project was to reverse outline it. So after the first draft is done, you outline what's there, like what, not what you want to be there or what you originally planned on being there. Here's what's here in bullet points or um, note cards or whatever. And not including backstory or flashbacks or internal angst of the character, like just what happens. This is what happens. And this is how we get from point A to point B to point C, you know, like, um, and I think that that gives you this overarching, really clear view of does this scene lead to that scene, lead to that scene? Like, are these things connected? Are they inevitable? Is there a through line to this? And where, what scenes fall out of that through line? (laughs) Like, what scenes might not be necessary for that through line? Um, So that you can see the whole story and plot as one thing in one glance. Um, I think that that's been really helpful because it gives you that overarching view. So you can tell if something's missing or something's, um, not needed. And then I think the other thing that I've, I did, um, I think it was on the project before this, I went through and I highlighted in different colors, every, like I highlighted all the dialogue in one color and then all the action beats in another color and all the description in another color. <laughs> and it was yeah. kind of mind blowing because it really like, became very visually clear like what was missing and and that's not to say that you should have you know like th- these things don't have to be perfectly balanced in every scene like there's going to be some scenes that skew more towards action and other scenes that skew more towards internal internal thoughts and the feelings of the characters and things like that um but being able to see it does give you a really clear sense of like something's not right in the scene i don't know why oh there's like no description in this scene. right right <laughs> people are just talking heads and they, we don't know where they are or what's happening. Yes. Um, or we have like one sentence of because that's my weakness. And so being able to like visually see that it gives you a really clear sense, or maybe you'll visually see it and be like, oh my gosh, there is a whole page of description. Right. And no not, you know, like, I don't know, like it'll be different for Absolutely. every person, but I think it's a really good exercise. Not, it would be a lot to do it for a whole book, but even just picking out like, okay, these five scenes, there's something not quite right here and being able to determine that. And it, I think what happens is you start to see patterns. Like for myself, when I did that, it became really evident where my weaknesses are. And that is true through the whole draft, even though I didn't do this for the whole draft. And it became really clear, like, here is where I'm missing muscle and fat and like some, something in this to make it feel fleshed out. So I feel like both of those were really helpful processes for me to determine am I underwriting or overwriting and where am I doing which and how am I doing which? Um, Because now I know like, I don't anymore tend to overwrite my plot. I actually probably tend to, um, but I have had times where I I overwrite the plot, but I always underwrite in terms of like style and in terms of like the actual writing itself. Um, I always leave out too much description.
1: But if it's functional, like if that's the functional yeah. way to get through a certain part of the process, mm-hmm. I think we like, I think in acknowledging all of that, like yes. knowing is that important part of the process, knowing yeah. what it is you do, because then when you go through your revision, you do whatever it is you need to, to, if your pattern is that you leave yes. this section out to put this section
0: in as you yes. revise exactly. and as you're no
1: longer, I think as we talk about patterns, I think that brings in the, when we're writing, we are not able to have on all our lenses. So yes. we're working from that automatic, that kind of subconscious self that, you know, yeah. there's things that we do when we write in that space that we do yes. it. Each time we do it and recognizing that and then looking out for it, having it be part of that then revision process, whatever it is, if it's leaving out the description, if it's having too much dialogue, if it's not having enough, if it's having like too many descriptions, you know, pieces within like the beginning and it slows it all down, whatever that is, I think it's recognizing that appreciating what it is you're attempting to create from it. And then kind of going from there, whether that's adding things on. And how I look at my side is it's a lot of sculpting, it's a lot of kind of removing things that are like, okay, that, you know, you're kind of excising a bunch of things that aren't helpful to the project. In its final form, but weren't a waste of time because it helps you get to that point where you can just remove it.
0: And and I think that's why, like, when we talk about revision and edits, there is no one set formula or one like, here's how you do revisions or here's what you need to look for first. Like, because it is so different for each person and how you need to counterbalance your piece is going to be different depending on what your natural bent is. But I think you're exactly right. Like, we write like first drafts are. They write the way that you tend to write, you know, like, and it's very difficult to break out of that in a first draft, and you kind of don't want to. I think you should follow what is yours, you know, like, but that means you're gonna fall into some bad habits. Like you're going to err on the sides of the of your weaknesses as well, even at the same time as you are on the sides of your strengths. Like you're gonna have repetition of certain writing patterns or certain styles and certain sentence structures. And, um, you're gonna tend to overuse certain words. You're going to tend to write the type of thing that you prefer to write. Like mine has lots of dialogue, you know, like, and then revisions is the process. Exactly. of like what you were saying is the process of honing that in of kind of then counterbalancing those weaknesses while still continuing to play up those strengths. And I think that's hard and it's different for each person, but it starts with recognizing what you're doing. And that can be sometimes the hardest piece because you do have to look at where are my weaknesses and you have to be really honest about that. Um, And I think it can be really helpful. Like that is a place where it can be really helpful to have some people around you who, who can cheer you on, who are very encouraging and who will play up your strengths while also reminding you, hey. This is a weakness here, and you need to work on this here.
1: And I think, even as we talk about this process in general, like looking at it as sometimes we have crutches that yeah. we lean on, right? yeah. especially when we're going through a process. And it's just acknowledging where those crutches are and then being on the lookout for them.
0: Yeah. Something else I think would be interesting to talk about in this discussion is knowing how to know what darlings to kill. You know, like Stephen King talks about killing your darlings. And I think. This is particularly true if you tend to overwrite, but even if you underwrite, like it's true there too. You still have to know, like, is all of this needed? Um, Yes. Like I said, I tend to overwrite dialogue at the beginning. And and so often in revisions, I have to cut back on that because it does tend to like, this is looking more like a screenplay than a a novel. And I can often tend to write scenes that aren't needed or like my plot can get a little bit bloated. Um, And so I still have to ask myself regularly, like, is this a darling that I need to kill or is this really necessary? Um, And I think that's a really hard thing to decide. And I'm finding something that's been really helpful for me is asking myself, what does this accomplish? And does it accomplish more than one thing? Because I often will write a scene that accomplishes only one thing. (laughs) And, and I'm starting to realize like, there is a, Better way if you can get a single scene to accomplish more, more than one thing, then everything works a little harder for you, and it works a little tighter, and it reads a little better. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and i
1: I think as we read and as we look at what different authors do, yes, yeah. there are ones that have that as their style that this mm-hmm. thing sets up this one and this one, but there's so many great examples of people who have such heavy lifting storytelling that literally as you're working on character you're working on building up the story side and you're working on building up the plot side and setting up how all of these things are going to come together and to me i like murder mysteries and murder mysteries always do tons of different things in each of the scenes because it, it has to work so hard Yeah. Because um, it's fooling you, as it's,
0: right. You have to as
1: magic act <laughs> like, doing that. Look and, over here, <laughs> right? I'm like the misdirection, and yeah. what I love is something that actually I'm recently reading right now. I'm reading uh, Beach Read by Emily Henry. And yes, so, I'm so glad. I'm loving it, it. <laughs> but. What I love is she does a lot of that. Like she's working on emotion and she's setting up all of these, you know, the dynamics. She's doing really delightful dialogue at the same time. And that's creating character though as well and showing the rapport between characters. And this really comes back down to, I think for me, having to recognize that I love my story. Mm -hmm. I think my story is great. Mm -hmm. A reader though, who's coming Mm -hmm. to this if you're not giving them, if you're giving them too much,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's overwhelming. But mm-hmm. if you're giving them in kind of wonderful mixes of kind of different flavors yeah, in each scene, things that are doing different things, it keeps things interesting, spinning. It keeps them thinking about several different things at different moments. And that mm. I think is actually... If one thing doesn't connect with them, you're not lost. Like yeah. you still have the other things that are going on. And it doesn't mean like overwhelming a scene with stuff. It just means give a couple interesting things in it that are going on. Give yes. a couple things that are setting up different things, asking different questions. And that's why I think, like you were saying with the highlighting, that can really help you too when mm-hmm. you realize what all is this doing? Like, yes, this may be dialogue, but is this actually setting up the rapport then for this scene coming up? Is it giving us a little hint at backstory for this other thing that we won't even reveal until like chapter 20? I think recognizing that our stories do need that. Like they do need that interest. They do need that kind of combination of things to keep things moving forward to not over rely on, oh, this will connect with them. I think yeah. kind of setting that ego aside and that like that love of our own story, which is great as we're writing it. But as we're editing it, I think having that honesty of, okay, w- this needs to do the work. Like yeah. <laughs> it can't just coast and it can't just be just what it is because I think we only get, we only get certain number of pages with a, a reader, yeah, and I, I think remembering that, not just from we're not just trying to impress you know, if you're going the route of trying to get an agent or a publisher, you're not just trying to do that, you're trying to keep a reader, yeah, reading your stuff. I think it's a good way of looking at it and, mm-hmm. and reminding ourselves as we look at movies and as we've looked at movies recently, they do so much in every scene, right? Mm-hmm. And anything, even if it's a lovely, delightful, beautiful scene they are going to cut, they are going to cut it down, down to the, you know, to what you're like, but is the story really there? But it is like, and it's amazing how sometimes when you cut something that you think is necessary, you see how it reads and you're like, oh, we didn't need those two pages. Yes. Our, our readers are smart enough to connect those dots. I think that looking at it from that standpoint too, of movie writing and seeing where they cut I yeah. I like looking at deleted scenes and then figuring out where they would fit and why they were cut because yeah. I think that can teach us a lot.
0: Yeah, that's a great practice. And and it's true that often those deleted scenes are great scenes They're like there's nothing wrong with the scene itself. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that it doesn't serve the story. And that's a really hard thing to start to recognize like what actually serves the story even if it's a great line, a great right. scene, a beautiful paragraph, it might not serve the story and ultimately like our stories aren't just um They're not just words on a page, they're a story, right? And they don't just belong to us, they belong to the reader too. And so we have to take into account what the reader needs in in that part of the story in order to keep reading and take into account the things that our reader readers are telling us, that our critique partners are telling us, all of that, because it's not just ours. At least it, you know, it shouldn't be, we we want to share it (laughs) and readers should have an active investment in the story. They are part of the storytelling almost even themselves because they you know, like we want our readers to be engaged and that means they have to be asking questions and wanting to solve the mystery with you and yeah. coming along to see what's, you know, the couple, the shenanigans, the couple's going to get into and whatever it is, like they are active in imagination. Like, otherwise we would be watching a movie, right? Like we Absolutely. books engage um, the reader. And in order to do that, they need to, they need to pack a punch and to do a lot in one go. Yeah. I've been seeing recently a lot of um, books to and readers who tab their books with like different colors for different different plot points or like yes. these are all romance sections or whatever. And I've been thinking that it would be really an interesting practice during revisions too to like tag your own book a little yes. bit like that so that you could visually see also at a glance like, okay, here are all the scenes that involve the romance. Or here are all the scenes that yes. involve the mystery. And here are all the scenes that have this character, however, however you choose to do it. I, yeah. I haven't looked into it too deeply, so I'm not sure exactly like, I think probably pe- people have their own um, process or way of doing it, but I think something like that could also be an interesting way to start to look at your story and start to see like, oh, wow, I'm really heavy handed with this, or yes. this is missing. <laughs> um, and I need more of this in, in various spots. Yeah. It's been helpful for me too, to start to look at, to look at where my plot points are falling, because I think that's another way to start to realize where you might be um, where you might have too much or too little. Like, uh, for example, my in my current book <laughs> that, I, that I just finished writing or that I'm trying to revise, my inciting incident really doesn't happen until 30, 40% mark. It's late. It's really late. Mm-hmm. Well, no, sorry. my Not my inciting incident. My yeah. break into act two. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, is like the 40% mark, which is, it's still very, very late. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm almost at the midway point by then. <laughs> We need to be into Act Two sooner, and I know that. And so that has been really helpful because once I realized that, like I thought, all of those scenes in the beginning were necessary. I thought they were setting things up. All of them are working really hard. There's multiple things going on. They're doing a lot for the character development. They're doing a lot for the world building setting, and they are as individual scenes. They're doing a lot. (laughs) They're great, (laughs) or I like them. You know, (laughs) but. break at act two is still coming too late (laughs) and that is an indication that that something in there doesn't really need to be in there for this story like it's not progressing the story forward fast enough and as soon as i realized that i realized right away like oh these three scenes need to go it was like so clear Um, but before i realized where the act two break was coming i couldn't see that um and so i think sometimes it's really helpful To look at your plot and kind of figure out those percentages and find out where things are falling. Um, Because it can give you some indication of where you're writing too much or too little. Like then my act two was too short, you know, like, and I didn't have enough meat in act two. And so I think it's helpful. And these aren't like hard and fast rules. Like your your act two doesn't have to happen right at the 25% mark. (laughs) You know, like there's some variability to that. And yet if you fall really far outside of that variability, it's usually an indication that something's off.
1: To readers who now are very used to a very specific style of writing, they may not actively be able to say what, but they can feel it. I mean, from a pattern perspective, especially.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I think I notice it in books when I'm reading. I will regularly be like, sure this is the midpoint and then I'll look absolutely. and I'll be like absolutely this is the midpoint yep. <laughs> you do it with movies or like, oh, here's the books yep <laughs> oh you here's the little sauce oh yep right yeah. at the 75% you're like...
1: and it's amazing how many are like oh like yeah. right there and and it's probably very much like they are plotting to that maybe um, <laughs> uh, potentially but it could be that they're just feeling it out
0: yeah and there's reasons that those poppies are part poppies, right. Or that we have Absolutely. these kinds of plot structures. And even when you look at different types of plot structure, you know, whether you're three act or six yeah. acts or four act or whatever you're doing, there are still commonalities across the board Absolutely. that fall across all of those. And I think it's important to, to at least pay attention to that and know if you're going to break that intentionally or not, and know that there might be a cost to that, to breaking that.
1: And I, I think, as you said, like, even just from a pacing standpoint, yeah. even, you know, probably it's easier for overrider maybe to pace it but Mm. maybe not because most of your stuff is there it may just all be um just might be slow (laughs)
0: Yeah, and overriding is gonna you know like your pacing is gonna err on the side of slowness and an underwriter your pacing is gonna err on the side of too fast
1: but I mean like from a pacing standpoint most of your stuff is gonna shrink down so it's maybe easier to see than if you're underwriting it And, and not every scene is really close ish to the final version. Uh So that's just something to kind of think about too, as we look at that. And as we look at that process, I think so much of what we've been saying is just, these are things that we've found helpful, useful, that is true about our writing that might be true about someone else's. And it's just good things to kind of keep in mind. Yes. I think regardless of whichever way someone writes approaches that process listening to how other people approach it can really just give ideas and that's one of the things that i've loved about listening to what other writers directors have to say about editing about their own process Mm -hmm. is sometimes something that someone says even if it's not the same as yours it sparks something and then you're oh that's mine that's totally mine And there's a lot of artists who are really open and honest about that process and how it looks, even in the day in and day out side of it, which we'll definitely put in the notes some of these examples of them. I think when we actively search that out, it gives us those ideas. And that's, I think my takeaways too, is that regardless of if someone has my same process, they still have tools, wisdom, different things to share and that we can probably learn from
0: and take away something from. Absolutely. Which kind of leads us into what we'll be talking about next week, which is kind of editing resources. And and I I think one of the best resources we have is just hearing how other people edit and how they revise their work. So tune in next week for that (laughs) conversation. Thank you for joining us today. We would love it if you leave a review that helps other people find the podcast. And yeah, we hope you keep writing. We hope you keep rewriting and keep reading, keep putting your work out into the world and sharing it with others.